that's exactly the question you should be asking yourself is what the hell is a butterfly doing on a bottle of bourbon? This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in bourbon news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Now, I have to admit, I remember my first time hearing of Blue Run Spirits, and I had my reservations. Who were these guys? They had some 13-year-old source product, a Nike shoe designer to make the packaging, and somehow they got the likes of Jim Rutledge to put his name on it. Plus, they were charging over $150 a bottle. Well, a lot of those reservations began to disappear after I tasted their bourbon. It was really good. And then the awards started piling up. Blue Run Spirits has been on more of a sprint than a run after launching back in 2020. And today, I'm joined by Mike Montgomery and Tim Sparapani, both co-founders of Blue Run. We talk about this journey and how they hit a turning point when people couldn't stop talking about their products. We talk about working with Jim Rutledge, moving from high age to younger whiskeys, and how they're starting to meet a new demand in the market. With that, enjoy today's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea uh, comes on Twitter from Johnny Abdel Sayed at J-A-B-D-E-L-S-A-Y-E-D who wrote me on November 9th, I have a possible above the char question. Am I betraying the bourbon community by buying bottles on the secondary market for secondary prices? Oh, this one opened up a can of worms so big, I knew I couldn't contain it just to myself. So I sent it out to all my Twitter followers And boy, did we get a mixed reaction. Like Wayne Daniel here says, yes, just stop purchasing those products. When the demand for them goes down, the secondary market dies along with it, which in turn should remove the allocation of the product. And guess what? In the process, you find some really great bourbons you'd otherwise not have tried. I mean, Wayne's got a point there, but at the same time, Wayne... If Johnny wants a bottle of, let's say, uh, dare I say, Pappy, uh, where else is he going to get it like right now for a special occasion? I mean, just saying, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. But to use uh, Wayne's logic, if he wanted to buy it from a uh, liquor store that's marked it the hell up, he could do that too. Uh, Smitty216 says, buy what you like and can afford. That's a pretty uh, common sentiment from people. By the way, Smitty's uh, profile image is one of Archer, one of my favorite cartoons of all time, by the way. Uh, Max Stoller, uh, at Confucius Max, good friend of mine, by the way, and a Patreon supporter. Not betraying, but probably buying a fake or a 50-50 chance of buying a fake or getting ghosted or getting scammed. Now, that's a real concern if you ask me, because there are a lot of scammers out there and they'll hit us up in all the social media portals. And it may not even be like a legit secondary page. Um, And they're just like, hey, hit me up, hit me up, hit me up. And they're just they're fake accounts and they're just out to get your information. So you do have to be careful. Uh, Have another dram writes. I don't know about betrayal, but it's not being a part of the community of bourbon. At the end of the day, he can spend his money how he wants. I'd rather look for non-allocated bottles that are cheaper and perhaps a bit as delicious. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, 10 years ago, the community lived on those Facebook secondary pages, and they were fun. I liked watching them just to see how things would sell, and you know, people would have uh, historic bottles there that you know I, I hadn't seen before. And, and so uh, things are different. Things are different now. Have another dram. But, you know, right now, you're probably right. Like, there's not much of a community uh, there anymore. Let's see. Timothy at Bar Turtle, which, by the way, Timothy is an OG in the whiskey community. You want to talk about one of the original community members. Timothy knows as much or more than most folks in bourbon. Uh, He says, he does that quotation, 
betraying the bourbon community with a big laughy face and the tears coming out. And I do think that is the comment that got a lot of people's attention. So that'll be the one that I kind of approach. And thank you, everyone, to who replied. If you'd like to go check out that uh, that thread, um, it happened November 4th on my Twitter, at Fred Minnick. But so, are you betraying the bourbon community? And the answer is yes and no. Uh, the answer is yes if you believe that the bourbon community is only focused about pricing, and it's only focused about you know making sure that the, the pricing kind of stays where it should be at an SRP. And uh, it's a big part of it. And the answer is no, if you believe in, you know, you're the person of your own fate. You're the person who is um, is in charge of your bank account. So spend how you want, do what you want, that kind of thing. I think, you know, I, I'm kind of like 50-50 here, kind of like my friend, uh, my friend Max. And I do think the greatest risk that you have in buying from the secondary, from a non-trusted source, is getting a fake. So... I would recommend always exhausting all possibilities of a legal purchase. That's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you have an idea for Above the Char, you can hit me up on uh, Twitter as well. Just look for my name, at Fred Minnick. I'm the one with the blue check mark. There are other Fred Minnicks, but I'm the one with the blue check mark. That's going to do it for this week, folks. Be safe out there. Cheers. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to noseyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny here today, riding solo, but talking with a brand that has kind of really made a big name for themselves in the past year. I think we're going to talk to them, and they're, I think their necks are starting to get heavy because they've been taking home so many devil gold medals at all these different you know, spirits competitions. And we're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, the brand, the idea, where they met, as well as, you know, we'll talk about some of the pricing discussions too, because everybody kind of knows that the idea of where bourbon's going and and figuring out where is that price need to be, it's it's always figuring out, well, where does the modern consumer fit? And, and where do we see, um, you know, the products fitting as well? So it's going to be a, an interesting story to kind of talk about that. 
And not only that is these, these guys came on the scene, they came out with some beautiful packaging. They were talking to one of the best distillers in the industry, which is Mr. Jim Rutledge himself, who we've had on the podcast a few different times before. And knowing when you have that type of pedigree behind you, you, uh, you kind of come out with, uh, some, some home runs and some grand slams right out of the gate. So I'm super excited to be able to introduce our guys here from Blue Run Spirits. So today on the show, we have Mike Montgomery. He is the co-founder and CEO and Tim Sparpani. Wait, oh, did I say that right? It's great. No, I love it. it, it what is it though? Sparpani. Sparpani. Tim Sparpani, another co-founder of Blue Run Spirits. So guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. We're really excited to be here. Really honored. Well, I'm glad for you all to be here too. So, you know, before we kind of get into to bourbon and whiskey and sort of all that sort of stuff, I, I kind of want to just know, know more about you all. How did this journey begin? And, and not just to say like where Blue Run started, but your whiskey journey of Mike, like how'd you get into it? Tim, before we started, we kind of talked about how you, you were dating a girl and kind of had some things here in Kentucky, but you know, Mike, I'm going to start off with you. Yeah, sure. So, um, I drank uh, plenty of bourbon. Uh, I like to call it bad bourbon in college. We've all been there. Yeah. You know, I could afford, uh, you know, whatever I could afford and it was bad enough that I had to water it down with plenty of Coke. Um, and I loved it and it was still bad bourbon, you know, but it was what I was it bad or was it just affordable? Was it, what what, what did we figure it out back then? Well, I think it was actually not good. Right. I mean, to, to have to put 10, 12 ounces of Coke in it to make it palatable, it was probably bad bourbon. I think the parallel is like drinking Cuervo tequila, you know, the type of stuff that as soon as it goes down your throat, it's on its way back up. You feel it automatically. Right. Yeah. Uh, to me, it was not good, but I still loved it. There was, a, there was a great taste to it, a great flavor to it. I knew there was better stuff out there, but it was going to take a while to get there. So I, I, you know, I did discover that. I got there. And I'm still getting there, you know? I mean, it, it really is a journey. And, you know, my palate changes all the time, right? I asked you earlier what your favorite bourbon is. You're like, don't ask me that. <laughs> it's the, it, it is the hard, hardest question. It really is. When, I mean, and you guys are getting more in the industry now and people, people finally, they're like, oh, you have your own bourbon brand. Well, what's your favorite bourbon? And you feel like a jerk saying, well, it's my own. Right. You, you, you people wanna... are always like, what else do you like to drink? Well, I, I you know. It's like when you look at all the samples that we have to try and you have that problem too. You're like, well, oh, you know, I don't just usually drink for, you know, enjoyment right now. It's drinking for a reason. There's a bourbon for every mood and every evening, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, I hate the, you know, I, what is your favorite bourbon question? Because it depends on the day, depends on the time, depends on, on who I'm with, depends on what the moment is. So I like to have a dozen of them, right? If you can, yeah. If you, you can, can, yeah. Maybe in if a row, <laughs> but not, not no one drive. Don't do it's, that. It's as much of time you have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I'll, uh, the answer for me so far is going to be our rye release that's coming out, surprisingly. Like, you know, I loved our 13 year. I think our 14 year is great. The single barrels were amazing, but the rye for me is just otherworldly. So what what hooked you on to bourbon though? You said you're, you're trying a bunch of bad bourbon. What, yeah. What's one of those things that kind of made you see the other side of the moon, if you will, here? Um, you know what? It was, it was tasting bourbons neat. It was just going neat. No ice, no water, no Coca-Cola. And, you know, I had a friend who, uh, who was into bourbons and had me over and said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sit down and try these. And I was like, ah. I don't know. Where's the fridge, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Were these actually in the freezer before you felt like pouring them out? Or, right. Yeah. Like, what's the deal here? And so we just, we went one by one. Is one of these Goldschlager? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> talk about Cuervo. That's the other one that comes right up. Um, you know, it still tastes like toothpaste in case anybody wants to know. <laughs> not that I've had a recent experience, but I, I will I will guarantee Goldschlager still tastes like toothpaste. Has not changed. The Gold Flakes are still novel and interesting, but yeah. Yeah. So it was it was just going through a tasting and tasting things neat that did it for me. You know, it was, it was eye-opening because I didn't need to kill it with that caramel flavoring anymore. Mm -hmm. And Tim, what about you? I mean, we couldn't talk a little bit, but how did your, your journey really start here? Yeah, I, th I think there are four like distinct moments for me that are sort of stand out. My dad would give people bottles of Makers at the holidays and it was his way of just really doing something nice for people he cared deeply about. So at some point, my father pulled me aside, college professor, and he said, let's, let's go ahead and, and try this. And my father and I had like, 
you know, moments of clarity where we got a chance to talk and really have great moments. So like he takes me back to my late father, like first moment, um, second moment, I'm off at, at college, uh, at Georgetown. And I happen to have a, a very good friend who lived on my floor freshman year. We're still friends to this day from Anchorage here in, in Kentucky. And it was a terrible, terrible Saturday night, raining cats and dogs, first semester of college. And he goes and gets Dixie cups, you know, the kind of the wax label on the bottom. And he, he just goes to his closet and starts pulling out bottles that he brought with him. That never happened to me. Yeah. You, you need better friends. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, me too. Yeah. So my friend, John Edward Brooks, Jeb, uh, goes ahead and pulls out, you know, a half dozen bottles and gives me my first bourbon lesson with another friend. You know, the kind where, like, literally you could see the, the bourbon coming through the wax at the bottom. Yeah, it right? just like, kind of, like, seeps through right, the sides. Right. And and I, yeah, I mean, I remember that very yeah. fondly. Yes. I mean, it, I, I don't recommend, you know, starting in great bourbon testing, tasting out of out of wax cups, but it was a, a great moment. Uh, third moment, I was dating somebody from Louisville and, and at, you know, thought it was going to be you know, the thing. I thought, that was this is the girl. I'm going to marry her, right? I came back here um, and her, her father pulled me into the basement and we sat down and had a couple of, of really great pours. And just, I had a chance to experience some bourbons that I'd never had a chance to, to taste before, but he was local and he had a great palate and that was really an important moment. And then at some point I got a chance um, because of my brother-in-law to taste all of the High West products. Early on, uh, High West, uh, the guys did a tasting for my brother-in-law and a bunch of his friends who he'd gotten to know out in California. And I flew out for it. And so the whole original team at High West gave us a deep lesson a decade ago. And that was like another transformative moment and elevated what I drank. And ever since, uh, I've been wanting to do this. And then so where do these two worlds collide between you two and trying to figure out and how this business really gets built? Yeah, it's it was it's kind of a, a little bit of a journey there as well. So one of our co-founders named Jesse McKnight and I were uh, working on a patent for a different project that was really dealing with wine. Can you talk about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, we were, we were going to patent, we actually are working on a patent for a method of making CBD wine and spirits. Not interested in the CBD side of it, because, but, but what we saw is that everybody was putting CBD in everything. In everything. Yeah, right? why not? I mean, I think there's dog treats with it now. Right. Yeah. There are, right? And um, A lot of mellow dogs out there now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, we just, we kind of were seeing it, looking ahead and saying, well, everybody's doing this, but is anybody actually patenting the process to do it? So we wanted to kind of jump ahead and do so. And so we're, we're actually in the final, final throws of the full patent. Uh, process there. But uh, Jesse, who's from Eastern, Ken actually from Georgetown, and he has a business in Eastern Kentucky. So he, he lives in uh, Northern California. He travels back and forth quite frequently. I mean, quite frequently, painfully frequently. He'd call me all the time and say, hey, I found a winery that wants to white label our, our process when it's ready, or somebody wants to buy product if we ever get into that. And then one day he called and he said, I've got a guy who wants to sell us some barrels of bourbon. What should we do? So I live in LA and when I hear I got a guy who wants to sell me some barrels of bourbon, it kind of reminds me of, of like the mid eighties with, with people driving down the 405 in their vans trying to sell speakers. Like, right? how, like how legit can this Right. It's be? like, right. So somebody's got two barrels of bourbon. Maybe they're good. Maybe they're bad. How much do they cost? Right. And the answer was they were way more than I wanted to spend for R&D, but that kind of got the wheels turning. So uh, you know, I spent some time thinking about it and finally got back to Jesse and said, hey, I'd be interested in this if you think you can find more, not just a couple barrels from some dude, but like, are, are there, is there actual product available that's high end and quality? And if we do it, can we do it differently? I don't want, you know, a bottle that looks like a, a wine bottle that's got, you know, a tan label and brown, you know, calligraphy writing with the whole story of the brand on a postage stamp, you know, where you could barely read it. You got to get a magnifying glass to read it. Can we do this in a modernized sort of way? And he's like, sure. That was, that was, that, that was, was enough, right? Oh, okay. Jesse, that's the way it's been with Jesse and I is like, it's just, it, things just happen. It's really easy. So then I started reaching out to, to a, a select group of my friends and colleagues. And one of the calls was to Tim. Remember where I was? This is about four years ago now. Maybe. How, how did you all meet in the first place? So 
aside from this, I've done um, public affairs work focused on the tech, uh, the technology sector. And Tim is a uh, privacy attorney. And so we work together for a nonprofit uh, group and we've done a bunch of work together. And I knew Tim was a big bourbon fan. And I, I felt like we needed to surround ourselves with some smart people, right? Like I keep hearing you're the, you're like, you're the spreadsheets guy, right? I am the spreadsheet. You're the spreadsheets guy, guy right? Ryan, Ryan's the dreamer. I'm the spreadsheet. I'm the realist. I, I bring him back down to life when it, when it comes down to it. Yeah. yeah. And so Tim is Kenny and I'm, I'm the Ryan, right? That's like, how it's worked out. So, uh, you know, I kind of envision something different, right? I mean, you can look at your bar here and you can kind of see what we're talking about. Certain bottles stand out. We wanted to do something that would stand out on a shelf. But it, we'll get there in a second. So kind of the next, the next realization I had, so uh, I was driving down Fairfax Boulevard in Los Angeles, and it's where the, um, the Supreme, one of the Supreme stores is, sneakers. And yeah, I was like, you gotta, I understand that maybe some people are there, the younger millennial generation that understand, but uh, anybody that's older, you've got to explain what the Supreme brand is, because many of us, we look at it, it's just a red label that says Supreme, and then it, it, it attracts... <laughs> supreme prices. So it does. Ex explain to what that is to people that may have no idea. It's a streetwear company, right? But they do more than sneakers and shorts and socks and hats that say supreme on them. None of us are cool enough in this room. Yeah, I know. No, or okay, no offense, but no, you're not either. I've seen, I've oh. seen they do like toolboxes yeah. too. They do all kinds of no. crazy stuff. Yes. Yeah. Way beyond my cool. They'll do like billiards balls. I mean, you name it. So it, it's just a place that like, if you're cool enough to know what it is, which I wasn't, and I'm not, but every Thursday they do limited product drops. And it happened to be a Thursday that I was driving out of Fairfax. It was raining, probably 50 degrees in LA. And 50 degrees in LA is like, you know, when people put on their- Yeah, they got their parkas on and- yeah, Earmuffs. Might as, well, might as well have their snow gear on right, for sure. Right. And there must've been 500 people waiting in line outside pulled over, got out of my car. And I asked, like, what's, what are you doing here? What's going on? And guy's like, oh, it's Thursday. It's this, this is classic Mike, by the way. Mike really does pull over and start asking people random questions. <laughs> this, is, this is how Mike does things. I'm curious, right? I'm, I'm curious. So, um, so the guy said, you know, it's Thursday. We're doing a, there's a product drop at Supreme and I've been waiting here for like three hours. And that's, that was kind of the first light bulb for me. And it, this is a totally made up word, but like, is there a way to sneakerize bourbon? Can we employ, uh, you know, a unique approach to product drops? Can we take a unique approach to design? And so that led me to, to pick up the phone. Actually, I went home, talked to my wife, and, um, and she said, "You're nuts." But, but, Stop but what, now. what made you think why bourbon? What what made you think that? It it was stuck. the The conversation with Jesse was stuck in my head. Right, I'd done enough. Like I was interested in bourbon to drink. But it wasn't a business that ever really appealed to me. It was like, that's what people from Kentucky do. That's what Kenny does, right? <laughs> well, don't, don't go there yet. But that's yeah. what Kenny does. Um, and, you know, I, I felt like we were, I, I can't say we at that point in time, I felt like I had the ability to pull together something that was different and unique that would appeal to a, a kind of a broader audience that was kind of new and different, you know, as an outsider, but we were lacking some things. It's hard. You know this. It's hard to be, this, this industry is very welcoming, not a lot of sharp elbows, but there's a lot that goes into it, right? And you've got to have all the components or else you're going to fail. And so I asked my wife to hook me up with her cousin who happened to be married to this guy I'd met at like Thanksgiving, maybe once or twice. The guy walks in and, you know, he's got his hat on a little bit sideways, he's got gold chains, he wears shorts to a Thanksgiving dinner. You know, it's like he, the guy oozes really cool. Yeah, you know, oozes cool. Like he was like, is he trying to impress us or not trying to impress right. us? I can't and, tell. And either way, it was working, right? So that was Devin McKinney, who uh, just so happens to be the head uh, lifestyle designer at Nike. So I called him up and it was like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing. How do you feel about bourbon? I didn't even know that, right? I've had such limited interaction with him. And he's like, I love bourbon. I'm like, well, what do you think you could do with a bottle? He's you like, had me at hello. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, let me have at it. So this team started to build. You know, it was still a dream. This is 
it was, and it, it, even I'm sure Tim will probably admit this. It felt like we were going to really need to thread the needle because it takes so many components. It takes, um, you know, first of all, it takes product, it takes money, capital to pull it off, and we really felt felt that we needed to be tethered to the industry somehow. We were outsiders, right? Jesse's from here. That's good, but doesn't live here. And so then we had this kind of chance encounter with Jim Rutledge, which was like Michael Jordan walking into the room for us. It was, you know, I remember pretty much everything about that meeting. I'm sure you do too. But what I remember most is that Tim said- Yeah, Tim, this is my, my big fanboy moment here. This yeah, is you're, we're, you're there and you're just like, oh my gosh, like- we're, we're sitting in the room. We're I'm like, in the room. dude, will you sign my bottle, please? <laughs> I mean, I really, I was like. He didn't do that, but no. he, he did say, hey, Jim. I love your stuff. I've always loved your stuff. Four Roses was meaningful to me. I, I've really enjoyed every bit of product. And I was just dumb enough to ask him, Jim, would you come work with us? And he looked at me and he got this long pause. And the, everybody who knows Jim Rutledge knows this. He's, he's the nicest human being you'd ever. He's the guy you want as your grandfather. And he looked at me and goes, well, well, why, yes, I, I I would do that with you. And and I was stupefied. And, and everyone around the room was like, jaw on the floor, like, you just asked Michael Jordan to come play, like, like deadly silence, like, create a basketball team with you. There's literally silence. People like all around the room. Did that just happen? And and, right? and, and it really did. It's like, we caught lightning in a bottle. Yeah. I was like, what just happened? And like, at that moment, we had a bourbon company. Like, it was all notional until that happened. And then, boom. Jim yeah. said yes, and off we went. Because how you can't do better, right? I mean, he's on the, he's on the Mount Rushmore of of distillers, if at least from my perspective. Not everybody loves his stuff. I've always been a fanboy. I think but, most of our listeners are, are deep fanboys of, of him as well. But I, I do want to rewind it back a little bit. So you had just talked about you know this being a very capital intensive business, and we've we've preached that time and time again that anybody doesn't know you just can't come in and think that you'll have a product today and you'll sell it tomorrow. No, like you've got to buy H product. H product costs a lot of money. You got to put down new make. You got to wait a lot of time. And there's just a lot of, there's a lot of money that that goes into this. You had talked to a guy that says, I have got a, got some bourbon to sell you. At what point did you say, okay, do we have enough bourbon to sell us that creates enough runway that we can create a product? Like how, how did those conversations come along? We're still working on that, right? <laughs> yeah. um, I think that's one of the big things. I mean, you guys, really you're, in a, you're in a position right now where you've been releasing 12 to 14-year-old product now for the past two years. And yeah, I mean, it's we all know that it would be great to sell this forever, but it's not the reality. It's not. No, it's not. It's not. So we're, we're trying to create that runway right now, just like you are, right? We've heard you talk about your runway. We're trying to create a similar runway. Um, it's a combination of distilling. It's a combination of coming here and meeting just a ton of lovely people who have opened their homes to us or have opened their businesses to us and who have been excited about people who want to, you know, in, enlarge the industry and who are open to new concepts and new ways of thinking about it and have truly opened their networks to us. So we've had people who have really made it possible for us to enter the industry. And we, we have so many people to be thankful to, Mike. And, and so it has just been a series of, of dumb, happy accidents one after another that propelled us to build some of the source juice that we've been able to been able to fortunately acquire and we've now been able to start our own new film but it's a long ramp and it is hugely capital intensive and we could not have done it but for people who have just opened their networks and their homes to us yeah we'll, we'll talk about the new film in a minute i, yeah. I kind of want to talk about the the original days too of, of finding these you know these these 12 year old kentucky barrels like how many were you buying at first and not, not enough and I think that's the, it's, that's the, I think the case of, of everything. But when you started, we were like, okay, like this will get us through like one or two runs. Like what was your. No, we were, we were really kind of aware that our first purchase was not going to get us as far as we needed to go. And so we were still scouring for more. And did you realize that because you figured out what the, you did surveys of what the bourbon market is, or you did the few test products? Like, how did you know that it wasn't going to be enough? Well, I mean, you know, you'll, you'll love this answer, but you know, financial modeling and release schedules and all the, all the planning, all the stuff that happens. This is a, this is a very difficult industry, right? It's very, it's, it doesn't appear very challenging on its surface. You buy barrels or you distill barrels and you put them in bottles and sell them. It's very simplistic, right? 
it's not, you know, as you know, as you know very well, it's challenging. There's so much more that goes into it. And so we spent a lot of time on, um, uh, you know, thinking through yields and thinking through release schedules and, and what we wanted to be as a brand. We're never going to be that brand that, you know, when somebody buys the last bottle on the shelf that three or four people in the store have cases and go fill it right back up. That's not going to be us. We're going to be... But Mike, if I could interject even more so, like we realize that the world is not produced enough bourbon for the demand that's out there. And if you begin to think about what's happening in Western Europe, China, where Kentucky bourbon is a prestige good, the way that, you know, Bordeaux from Bordeaux is, or Champagne from Champagne, or, or you know, cabs from Napa, the Chinese, the Indians, people from Western Europe have really been turned on to the spirit, in addition to the explosion of consumers here. And we were very aware, spent a lot of time looking at what the market would bear and realized that there is a dearth of great product out there. And so we knew that we would not have enough, but we knew we had to start somewhere. But we had some confidence that if you put out really great product in a beautiful package, the world will want that stuff, right? And the question is, what what do you do next? Like, what's the next act? And so our our newer products are coming up to the market. There's a real test coming. Um, We're excited about it. But we knew that the world's consumption of bourbon probably meant that we would do okay with at least our first couple of releases. And we studied it carefully. I think that we were enough business savvy enough to, to think that through. Before we get to the point of releasing the first bottles and everything like that, I mean, I want to stay a little bit on this market research side because there's a, there's a very big part of this that plays into what is Blue Run and what makes it so attractive. And that is that is the packaging. I, I do want to talk about this for a few minutes. I mean, you you know, you had worked with the the designer of Nike. I kind of talk about some of the, the early prototypes, some of the early designs, how you landed on a butterfly of all things. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Talk about some of the, the early prototypes, some of the early designs, how you landed on a butterfly of all things, because when you think of like, Ah, yes, bourbon, manly, old-timey, old whatever. You don't think, I'm going to put a pretty blue butterfly on the label here. Well, let me start, stop right there because we knew, and when, when the first time that Mike called me and said, hey, my friend Jesse, who you've heard a lot about, over and over again, has some guys who want to sell us some bourbon. Are you in? I said, I don't want to do the same old, same old. We're not going to do old such and such. We're not going to be named after some long dead colonel. That's not us. That's not our demographic. And we can't. We can't be more historical than the people who have been around, right? Uh, we, we, we're, we have to be something new and different. So if we're going to do it, it has to feel and look and be totally different and modern. And it has to speak to the consumers who we know, who are our friends and family, who are going to the bars with us or great restaurants. 
who don't look like your typical long-term bourbon drinker, but yet are enjoying beautiful bourbons and nobody's talking to them. Those are the people that I would be excited about as having as customers, in addition to those people who are already enjoying bourbon and have for, for decades, right? We really want to expand who we're talking to. And when we looked around, we realized that lots of people we knew, women, people of color, young millennials, didn't have a brand that spoke to them yet. They, they were brand agnostic. They would, they would go to a bar, they would go like, and they would trust the bartender and say, well, what do you love? Pour something for me. What's new? What's exciting? But they did not have a brand that they were attached to in the way that my father was attached to, to makers, right? Like there, there was no like affinity yet for this set of customers. And we realized at that moment that there was probably an opportunity for us to do what we wanted to do in a different way with a different package and speak to a different audience that was there and nobody had been addressing or, or people had not been addressing fully with the products that were on the market. And so that there was like an aha moment that happened there. So when you do that, you start from the scratch and you, we, you know, we did a deep study. We looked at literally every bottle on the shelf that we could find. And we realized that 95% of the bottles were black, white, silver labels with black, white, silver, or gold trim and print. And it was a sea of very similar things. And we realized we can't, we can't do anything. We have to differentiate because if we do the same thing, no one will ever even stop to figure out what our product is going to be. So you asked what the butterfly for is for, and the butterfly is Devin's genius, right? Devin brought us the butterfly after other prototypes that we, we tried. We're like, no, that's not it. That's not it. We also went through a lot of different names, some that didn't pass uh, trademark muster, right? Um, I think, you know, we, we can talk about this, but it's the first thing is like, whenever you try a name and you're like, ah, everybody's that didn't already, work. Everybody's, that already, didn't thought work. It's the worst. everybody's you, already thought of it. And yeah. no, we're not putting a Y in it this time, right? No, we're yeah. not going to like substitute, you know, yeah. like a couple letters and put an umlaut in it. And That's were, not going to make it you work. Know, right? There were some fun names that we passed on. There were, there were some design concepts that were, you know, we told, we asked Devin to just, to push us past our level of comfort. And he did that. He did that in a number of different ways, but it wasn't until we saw the butterfly that it was like, you know, that was the aha moment. And really what he was looking for was um, an emblem or a mascot of sorts, something that was a medallion that could be part of the brand concept on the bottle and would associate with a name. And it's difficult because, you know, you look at the butterfly and like you say, it's not like butterflies aren't necessarily a manly sort of insect. And, and most bourbon historically has been marketed to men. Absolutely. Right? And yet we all know tons of women who are drinking really great bourbon. And again, we're, we weren't going to put bourbon in a pink label and be like, here's bourbon for chicks. Like that wasn't our goal, right? We wanted something that would appeal to everybody, to everybody and not just be marketed for the typical white male drinker who'd been drinking it for a long time. Yeah. And so this butterfly, the idea is it's a metamorphosis, right? A butterfly goes through, to get to a butterfly, it's been, it's, you know, it's gone through different stages. And our idea here is that we want to change the way that people approach bourbon and attract this kind of diversifying consumer base, All right, The world's changing. It's not, uh, you know, it, it's not your typical consumer anymore. It's broadening substantially. And we wanted our packaging to feel high-end, to be welcoming to everybody. And this just kind of encapsulated, this design concept encapsulated what we were looking for. And we all know what this experience is. You go to your favorite liquor store, you go to your favorite bar or restaurant, and they've got beautiful, you know, whiskeys displayed. But your eyes, even, even those of us who are in this industry, you know, you and I will know what those packages are, but most consumers who are casual bourbon enthusiasts will not be able to distinguish more than two or three of the packages by name. And we realized that we needed something that looked so radically different that it would be a, literally a splash of cold water in your face or a slap across the face when you're at the bar like, whoa, what in the heck is a butterfly doing on whiskey? I want to know what the thing is over there. Like, show me what that is. Devin's got this great concept that if your eye doesn't recognize that something is different about a product or a feature, it's like it never even happened. And so as a brand new brand, you have to do something that is so unique and different as to, as to, to jolt people. 
So, so a lot of people are like, I don't want to, what in the hell is a butterfly doing on, you know, bottle? like that's exactly the question you should be asking yourself is what the hell is a butterfly doing on a bottle of bourbon? Probably what most whiskey geeks probably thought of when they first saw it too. Yeah. yeah. And we, we get that reaction, but I will tell you more and more people are like, I love it. I can see it from 15 feet away. And like people will say, give me the butterfly. Like where we're having yeah. this experience. I want the really butterfly gratifying. bourbon. Where's the butterfly they, bourbon? They may not know Blue Run as a name, but the butterfly has has captured some attention. And so we're, we've been very fortunate that Devin's deep insights, along with Mike's, you know, marketing concept has been sort of married up in a way that we've been able to produce something that we think grabbed our attention. And because it grabbed our attention, we thought there's a chance it might grab other people's attention. The amount of messages we get from people asking, like, what are you going to do with the next butterfly? What's it going to look for, like for the rye or for your high rye bourbon that's Let me guess. Next? Is it going to be green? There will be... There will be some green There will be some hints yeah. of green, but even <laughs> that... The reason I say that is because everybody's like, oh, rye. It has to be green. Yeah. Green is rye. Green is rye. Yeah. Which there's no if ands it's, or like it, why it's, that... It's crazy, but why, it's true. Why that always happens, but that's yeah. just the way the industry yeah. progresses. is that anything that's rye is always green. Yeah. I mean, look at your bar right in back of us. Hey, green, hey, green, green, same exact way when we were coming out with our, our rye, we're like, well, I mean, we have to go with green because that's what people just connotate with rye whiskey. It's so strange, but it's true. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So we've we've captured some of those elements, but it's, it's still going to stand out. It's going to be different. Um, and the butterfly gives us this, this palette that we can play with and play around with, right? So, you know, what Devin has up his sleeve for the, the, the coming couple of years it's gonna be it's gonna be fun it's pretty exciting right the monarch release whatever it's gonna be called something yeah like maybe <laughs> possibly <laughs> possibly i'm just throwing ideas throwing ideas out here no well let us well please if people are out there just send them our way because we there's never enough good ideas in this world i will say though the the biggest lesson that jim rutledge taught us is that it doesn't matter how beautiful your package is people will buy that bottle one time if the juice is inside isn't great juice and so this is a lesson that Mike and I and the rest of the team here over and over again, we repeat this mantra from Jim, the juice has got to be outstanding or people are going to buy it one time. They're not going to come back. And what we want is committed consumers who are attached to and feel an affiliation with the butterfly, with Blue Run. And so we have to put consistently what we think is phenomenal product in the bottle. Or it's just a sexy bottle that they saw, they bought once. Yeah, beautiful on the inside and out is kind of the, the gym mantra there. And and we're trying to hit it. And so far, you know, we've had some pretty happy consumers. We're thrilled with, you know, the way that the product is moving. The demand for it greatly outstrips the supply. And we feel really fortunate. Yeah. Really lucky. Yeah, I mean, I, I know you guys have been really knocking on the park with there. I you know, we're good friends with Blake over at Sealbox. And I know you guys had a release on Sealbox and it's sold out within five minutes or something like that, four minutes. I mean, it was maybe even less than it that. It was less. It was, I mean, it was just one of those things that's like, holy crap, like yeah. these guys are onto something here. Yeah. And, and let's let's kind of talk about, a little bit about the, the juice in itself. Like yep. we both have, are building companies based on on source liquid right now, right? We're, we're all looking towards the future, but kind of talk about what you were looking at and the acquisition and figuring out, well, how do we blend these together and where does Jim come in and and all that sort of sure. stuff too. So from the beginning, uh, Jesse and I would send Jim samples and we probably sent him to 30 to 50 samples and probably all the samples you've had too, right? Like, and, and a lot of these are, by anyone who knows, it's 12 year old Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, probably when he starts, when he started. We've talked about it on the podcast before. There's only one place where that was really originating from. So start doing your deductive reasoning and kind of figure that stuff out. Yeah. But I kind of want to talk about, you know, what makes that better than what's available out there too. So well, I'll sure. tell you, the, the easy answer is we sent Jim a lot of samples and it wasn't just that 12 year. It was a wide variety. There of must samples. have been 50 samples that he... Yeah. At and least just like just random stuff that's on the market, just whatever you get your everything, hands on. Everything. Every sample we could get our hands on, we sent to Jim. And nope, uh, nope, nope, those, nope, nope, yeah. no, thank you. Those original barrels don't. were the only one, the, the, the 12 year old barrels were the only ones Jim said, I like these. So, you know, what do we do? Yeah. We bought as many as we could. He would choose the most expensive ones out of the lot too, wouldn't he? Yeah. Well, but you know what? They turned out, they, they were a great He's choice. got that supreme taste. He does. He yeah. does. <laughs> and, and not only that, like we, we turned to Jim and said, look, you're, our, you're the liquid advisor. You tell us how to do this. And that you have a legend, you ask the legend, you know, how to do things. And we did. And, and then you listen. 
You know, we sent them some, you probably tried, there were samples of, uh, you know, there were barrels of 15 year out there for a while and his tasting notes came back, Jim's tasting notes came back that it tasted like medicinal pine tar. Now, not just pine tar, but medicinal pine tar as if people used pine tar for medicine, <laughs> right? You know, so my answer was, well, did you like it? Yeah, well, that's going to lean towards the no factor. Yeah, that was, yeah. it was like, no, I, I, I didn't like it, right? So we passed on a lot of product. And some people love that 15-year. And by the way, yeah. it, and it's, it's for some people. Like crazy. It, it just wasn't for us. Right. We it also, certainly wasn't for Jim. But we also know that that other other brands bought barrels, of those, those 12-year barrels. They blended them differently. They proofed them differently. And we believe ours is superior. We believe our, we proofed, uh, we proofed those barrels really well. We blended them very well. And that's just, you know, that's not we, not we, Jim. That's the magic of Jim, right? The juice is, it was widely available, was. Yeah, it was is the key word because yeah. finding that anymore is it's tough. It's long gone. So, and hella expensive even then. Yeah. Yeah. Even right. though, yeah, we bought two rounds of those barrels. They were, expensive on the first round and they were very expensive on the second round. And by the way, this is, we're buying at the same time that we are producing our name, our concept. And so we are literally like emptying pockets and, and pulling up couch cushions and like trying to scrape together coin wherever we can to get this thing off the I ground. Remember, I remember when I was actually uh, wiring the money and I, you know, my, my, my hand was shaking. <laughs> I was like double and triple checking you know, the routing number to make sure that it was all right, because it was like, that's a lot of money, right? It's a lot of investor money. Let's make sure that it's going to the right place. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's the things you do to build a brand, right? But we trusted Jim and that was probably the wise choice because he knows what he's doing. And so the, the, you know, the consumer response to this, to those barrels has been that people love them, right? I was about to say, when did you first feel that, like, we're onto something? Because I'm sure like the first release came out and you're like, all right, it's out there. Like fingers crossed. Let's hope we've got something. A lot of staring at the ceiling. At so night. yeah. And, so I'll and, tell you. And I know it's it's one of those things you put it out there and it might sit on shelves for a little bit, but it doesn't get the consumer going. And it's it's not one of those brands that has, you know, heritage and history and people already know about it. Like you're making something new in the market and you've got to make people excited, but we don't know how to get there. And I, I know we're all on that kind of journey ourselves too. So what was that turning point for you that said, I think we've, we might be onto something here? We may have different turning points. I think so. My turning point was uh, after our second release. So the first release, you know, I kind of, at least because the world's so screwed up right now and we haven't been able to do a lot of the things that we've wanted to do, we've been, you know, everybody's been stuck at home and we haven't been able to do events and get, you know, meet people and travel the country and push our product like we've wanted to, it was a different world. So I kind of, I kind of gauged our success based upon the speed at which we sold out online. Our first release sold out in a week. I thought that was good. That's pretty, that's, most brands would be very happy with that. Most brands would be pretty five, happy. Five days. The second release was five days. Right. The second release was five days. So at that second release, when we sold out faster, that's kind of when it, it like, you know, struck me that, hey, we may be onto something here. Now, subsequent releases just like blew through that, you know, our single barrels, it, it probably, Tim, I, I don't know if you're going to talk about the single barrels, but, you know, we did four releases uh, every Monday for a month and we went from 30 seconds, uh, excuse me, 45 seconds to 30 seconds to 15 seconds to 10 seconds. So those all came through Sealbox and, and Blake's numbers, but it was like, you know, I geared myself up, you know, so much work goes into a release, Right. And the second that the, that, you know, we flipped the switch to turn oh. it on, you know, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to be happy if it takes us a couple days. Right. But all of a sudden it, it, it goes in seconds. And you're like, what broke? Right. I mean, I come from the internet business. You're like, oh my gosh, we broke something. Right. We're done. You know, we just, we just, we just, we ruined ourselves. Like that's it. The investors are going to be calling momentarily. Like I've got a ton of my own money into this. It's like, oh man, we just, the internet just broke and not in a good way. I didn't think that at all. Um, <laughs> like, we crushed it. And I'm like, no, I didn't no, think no, that no, at hold all. Hold on. I was like, double check. Let's go back. Let's go. You know, but I did play. ask my wife and my daughter to leave me. I, I needed some space, right? That first, those first couple of Mondays, just give me some space. It's going to be two, three, four, five hours. Just let me be right. And I walk out of the room and they're like, What's going on? Like, we're done. 
like you haven't been in there for longer than a minute. And like, yeah, Blake just texted me, we're done. It was, it was really picking up steam and there's demand, right? There's, there's unmet demand. If we could have, Tim will probably say five times the product. If we had 50 times the product, we would have sold it out still in, you know, probably the same amount of time, just based upon, you know, the number of people that we had online on our site and on Sealbox at the same time, you add those up and we're talking in the, you know, tens of thousands of people for a, a startup. We're new, right? We are literally the new kids on the block and we, ha- we haven't even begun to announce ourselves yet. So that to me showed that we're on the right path. What about you, Tim? I'm going to take a totally different approach to this, which is that I'm the guy who sweats everything and I still don't believe we're there. Right. And so I will wait and see how people experience our, our, our rye, our, our golden rye, which is about to be released. And then our bourbon this fall, Jim's first distillate since he was at Four Roses. And then perhaps I might exhale a little bit. And if people begin to buy not just that first bottle, but the second and the third, and then I think we might have conv- committed some people to our brand. That's a business. Is it because you're worried that? You know, it's it's easy to sell a 12 to 14 year old product. You know, it's good. Like everybody, everybody's had this before. It's fantastic whiskey. The, the age statement alone will sell a whole bunch of this stuff. And let's be sure. clear about that. For sure. And then when you're either starting off with some new distillate or, you know, finding some younger age product, I mean, yeah. is that is that your your big concern? It is, right? I mean, again, you're you're putting a new product in the into the world and you're asking people to trust you with their money and put down, you know, their their credit cards and have an experience, right? And we're trying to give them a luxury experience, a, a curated, luxurious experience that that gives them a chance for a little bit of escape or something to celebrate with, um, a, you know, a moment of joy. So you got to be humble. And I think this team is incredibly humble. And we're aware that we, we've been able to market well so far and tap into the, the scarcity um, of great old juice. Uh, and people's desire for a unique experience, especially during a really tough 18 months. But I think we're we're hoping that people will feel like they're going to give us a chance going forward too and and embrace the new product. So yeah, I'm still waiting, um, but I'm the guy who like- He's going to be waiting forever. You know, the, the funny thing I'm, is- I'm excited, but I'm, I'm you know, I still, we still sweat this, this small stuff. Oh, we have to, and we will. I, I want to make it clear. We haven't reached the pinnacle. No. But there is, you know, there is no pinnacle. You just- keep building, uh, building and growing, but there's a difference between a business and a hobby. If our product, if our first release, the one that, the one that Kenny's drinking right here. I am, I have, uh, what is this? This is that, the, oh, that's 13, the second release. That's the winner, right? This is batch winner, age 13 years, 113 proof. So if, if the fall and the winter releases were still sitting on a shelf right now, it would be a hobby. We wouldn't have put enough time or attention into this to make it real. This is real. This is happening. But we've got to keep building and growing. And we think that we think a lot of a lot of this has to do with the connections that we're making with the consumer. Real personal connections. I read a, a handwritten letter to every single person who buys a bottle online. Every single person. So, you know, the last release, our 14-year release, uh, we sold 1,050 bottles online. That's a lot. Of, that's your hand might be hurting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. You know, every still got time. some carpal tunnel going on. You know, my my uh, <laughs> my daughter's sick of it because we'll be eating dinner. Daddy, what are you doing? Oh, I'm writing uh, you know, thank I'm, you letters. Why are you eating? Well, I'm writing notes. There's all I'm always writing notes, but I get to I get to kind of juxtapose those notes I write with what I see on social media, the people who follow us and interact with us, and I can actually personalize them and thank them for being a fan, thank them for being with us from the beginning. It's a lot of trust people place in us. I mean, our bottles are not cheap and our, you know, our, our golden rye and our bourbon, we're going to ask people to spend a fair amount on those too. We're asking people to trust us with their money. We take that deadly seriously. So the thank you is truly like, we're, we're honestly quite humbled and thankful that people have given us a chance, right? When do, do you express that? Yeah. And I do want to talk about that a little bit. I mean, yeah. the, the price point is, is, Getting up there, I mean, well, we were looking at $200, $250 for some of the, the earlier releases and stuff That's right. like that. And most of us know exactly where the bourbon's coming from. And you're like, well, I, I pay $50 from the source. Now, we have done our best to try to educate the, the populace. It says, well, when you source, you definitely have to add in and a little bit of buffer and stuff like that. But you all are taking an approach that 
people like Sweetens Cove look like, uh, you know, going this like super, super premium route, right? Like going well above the threshold of what a typical average bourbon consumer would pay as like a, you know, 30 to 65, $75 bottle. Talk about your strategy and your pricing and, and kind of where you did it and speak to the bourbon geek and saying like, listen, this is why you should give us a chance. Sure. Well, I'll kick this off. It's probably a two-parter, yeah. maybe. Um, so it goes back to what Tim said earlier about Jim's advice to us. The packaging can look phenomenal, but if the juice inside isn't good, then people are going to buy one bottle and they're going to be done with you. They're going to open it, pour a couple pour a couple glasses, and then put give it away or just yeah. put it aside. Right. right. It'll, gra- it'll gather dust. So it had, it had to look amazing, and we think it does. It has to be good juice. It's good juice, but it also has to be proofed you know, appropriately. And you'll realize at 113, we're not proofing this down to 100 or 90 or 80 or, you know, we're not going, you know, we're not going, uh, you know. You're trying to squeeze the most out of it. We're not trying to squeeze the most out of it. We're actually, you know, we're keeping the proof fairly high, which means- those single barrels are all in the high 120s up to 130. I mean, again, the yield drops dramatically. So we could we could have gotten a lot more mileage out of these barrels than we did, but we didn't think that was the appropriate approach for the consumer, right? Because the experience needs to be elevated. It needs to meet that price level. If we had gone down to, you know, 99 proof and gotten another, I don't know, I don't know what the yield would be, 50 cases out of it, sure, maybe we would have made a little bit more money, but we would have had, I think, less happy consumers. And that's not, you know, the, the point is to get people to like what we do, to trust that we're going to make the right call for for what's inside the bottle. And I think we did that. But you probably have more. Yeah, no, I think I would only say that you, you, you I, the, the Bourbon Pursuit podcast has been phenomenal for so many reasons. Mike and I were longtime listeners. And as we were educating ourselves, I have to give you guys credit. We, we listened religiously, and we still do, to the podcast. But you guys have done a great job of educating people about what the costs are of sourcing juice, not just the new fill, which we are certainly doing as well. We appreciate that, too, yeah. by the way. Well, thank you. Um, and honestly, we've, we've learned a ton. Uh, but everything you guys have said about sourcing is true. You have to build in all the extra costs. Now, when you're competing against what is a large incumbent industry with companies that have huge scale – they can drop their cost of goods sold, their cogs, through the floor. The bottles, the gl- and the glass, the, the corks, the labels, the printing, the overhead, the shipping. If you get to scale, your costs come down and every bottle can actually be cheaper. When you're starting out, especially, like there is no scale, right? And so everything you're buying, you are buying ahead of time and the hope and dream that you're going to make it. And you are paying a premium price. Nobody's get cutting you a deal. I remember when we were first starting and we had to buy glass, we're like, what do you mean we have to buy by the pallet? That's we should right. buy a thousand bottles minimum. So yeah, it was, was one of those things. Yeah. Right. I wish you could only buy a thousand, right? Like we like we're if there were glass available today. True. That's right? true. Right. Yeah. So that and that's point number two is that in addition to the scarcity of truly great juice, I mean, go ahead. Start calling around, try to find great Kentucky juice right now of any age. It does not exist. Right. Or if it exists, nobody's selling it because they realize they're sitting on truly liquid gold. So the price is the is truly inflated, especially for a newcomer, and you get what you can, and you get started, and then you you have to plow every bit of your profits right back in. And as you grow, every bit of profit goes right back in. So we have to build in enough to have operational costs and our cogs at an inflated cost. And even, you know, even over time, as they come down a little bit, we're getting, we're getting some scale now a little bit. So we're getting a little bit better pricing, but it still is nowhere near where it needs to be to have anything to do with in a comparison to the, the large brands. You just can't ever get there. So there's only one market opportunity. You asked us to speak to the market opportunity. You either go really low level and you try to do mass volume as a business person, or you go really luxury and you that like and you have to price it accordingly to get the price that you need to do to have an ongoing concern. Again, the difference between a hobby and a business is a big deal, right? And so to have a business you have to have investable profits you can return. The price is what it is because we need to do that. And that's the business side. On the personal side, again, we think that there is a need that people have right now, especially you know during the last 18 months, during COVID, the pandemic, to have a unique experience and to feel like they're, they're doing something or celebrating. Even if they're at their, their home with just a family member or just on their own, they're not going out to the fancy restaurant. They're not able to take the trip right now. 
So our timing has been very fortuitous in only one respect, that people who were normally going to take and go out to dinner on a Friday night and spend $150, $200 on a nice meal with themselves, their friends, a couple drinks, it's really easy in most major cities to do that without blinking. We're instead looking for something they could do at home. And so we happened to, to time this just by happenstance where we could give them that sort of luxury experience at home. And and so they, I think there's an, a strong affinity. People feel like they're doing something that allows them to step away from the troubles of the day. And so there's there's just like a, a bit of kismet that's happened here, I think. The, the flip side of that argument, Tim, is that we've also had massive air freight bills, right? So yeah, talk you know, about yeah, that I wasn't going to go there. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it. But... Or, or the time the glass labeling got botched yeah. or the, the case that, you know. Because because if you're putting on a premium product, you don't want it to you don't want to sacrifice some of those small details. Now well, we have sweated every bit of the product experience and the shipping experience. We got we got um, I don't know how many pallets, multiple pallets of glass on an airplane the day that France shut down, went on lock their second lockdown, and it just you know it was like we had to have this glass. It was going to cost an arm and a leg. We found the last plane. We paid a premium to get the glass over here. I mean, how many, I mean, you guys, you talk to people every week. Do they have glass? No. You not right not no. find glass. We, we came within hours of not having glass. Those things happen, right? But look, you go into any store, into any bar, you can find expensive pours. Some of them are good. Some are worth the money and some aren't. We want to, we want to make sure that ours is uh, considered a worthwhile and worthy pour. And, you know, so far the feedback has been that that's true. I was about to say, I was earlier on, I said, your necks have got to be getting heavy because <laughs> you are running away with a lot of metals nowadays. You know, those were, we were pretty excited about the San Francisco World Spirits competition because it was the, it's the first, it was the first competition that we entered. We kind of figured that everything was pay to play, right? We weren't paying. So, you know, we didn't, we didn't have any we money to play, pay with, so right, right. It was just you know, just we, the entrance fee, and that's it. Right. It was like you know, here's it, a bottle. Uh, we hope you like it. Right. You know? And you know, it was surprising. You know, it wasn't just double gold. We won best in 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 category for two of our three entries. Um, and, and the, shocking. And the golden rye has won a gold as well. Yeah. And so it, it was pretty shocking to us. We didn't think those things could happen for us. New kid on the block, total newcomer, but we've done okay. Right, we're going to keep trying to do okay. We think there, you know, I think the rye coming up is amazing. I think I've said that a few times now, but I yeah, so really talk about the rye. Let's I look. really like it. So it's we're calling it the Golden Rye. Uh, it's a four-year sourced product from Kentucky. We're uh, proofing that at ninety-five, and it's fantastic. Nothing, nothing short of fantastic, as far as I'm concerned. So we we talked about the Golden Rye coming up. Um, you guys are here in town and able to to come and record with me today because you're. You're moving some operations and stuff over to, to Barstown Bourbon Company. Can you talk about what you're working on over there? Sure. We are, first of all, we are so thrilled to be at, at Bardstown. Great partners. Um, it's amazing. An amazing facility, great people. You know, they've welcomed us with open arms, which has been really helpful. And so we're, we're laying down some barrels right now. Jim's distilling. Uh, as we speak. Mike and I are, are here doing podcasts. He's sweating away in the distillery right now. That sounds about an even trade. Yeah, but for Jim, he'd be happy like, about like, this. Yeah. Is, this is what Jim he wants. Would, Jim would not want to be here. He'd want to be there. So so can I go back to for just one moment? So when I asked Jim in this weird moment to like, well, you know, will you come distill with me? He said, yes, but you have to just let me distill because nobody ever lets me just distill. And I said, Jim, you're Jim. You do you. So he's happy. He's he's in his happy place right now as we are talking, getting that next, you know, great product ready for us, which I, I'm just super excited about. But also we're we're in an air conditioned room and he is not. Yeah, so. that's true. So he's in the still, right? still yeah, room right now. He really is. We yeah. you know, pictures from this morning. He's he's working at it right now. Yeah. You can you can smell you can you know the, the beautiful smells that come through the, the the text message videos that Jesse sent us this morning are amazing. Um, so yes, we're laying down new fill. We're on the calendar twice this year at BBC, and we distilled last year at, with Jim at, at Castle and Key. We are moving almost all of our barrels over to BBC for storage, and uh, you know I think we were we were the first brand on their new uh, bottling line also which is pretty cool. Yeah, it was fun to be- the, Even before their own. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was fun. To I, be remember, there I remember talking to them about that. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. Tremendous it's, people too. Yeah. Just it's, it's, you know, it's like Disneyland for, for people like us. For sure. Yeah. Well, Mike and Tim, I'm going to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hey, can I say something else? You sure can. I, I just want to give you and Ryan and Fred uh, a, just a ton of thanks. You guys were the motivation or a lot, it served as part of the motivation for us to get started. You taught us a lot. We listen every Tuesday religiously, every Thursday when we can. Um, but uh, we owe you a lot. We are really appreciative for for all the education that you've brought to the to us and to the community. So thank you. Well, I appreciate it. Um, we'll we'll collect the, the checks at the end of this for for all the all the all the Take resource credit? bills. Yeah, no, pay you, I mean, you in product is what we've got. Maybe. Know, I mean, it's it's fantastic, and I, I'm thankful for people like you all that listen to it and, and think that you know people like us are actually spitting wisdom when we're just really just whiskey geeks like a lot of people out there and just want to learn more and want to know what other people are doing and it's exciting to see what you all are building too knowing that the journey that you've come through you've found a niche in this market and and really found a way to i mean you've really gravitated towards a a new kind of consumer and, and you're finding that ability to be able to kind of like really you know hammer that home it's really cool it's kind of making me think like man we should we should talk to your Nike designer too and come out with a different label at some point too. But hey, who knows? Collaboration in the future. That would be great. Where to find us. <laughs> but, you know, thank you again for coming on here today. So one time, just tell people know, how can they follow you? How can they learn more about Blue Run? All that sort of sure. thing too. So bluerunspirits.com and then on all these socials uh, at Blue Run Spirits. Great. Well, cool. Well, thank you again so much for coming on the show today. It was a pleasure to have you. Really an honor. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. And and make make sure you follow Blue Run, wherever you have their socials. Follow Bourbon Pursuit. If you like the podcast, make sure you leave a review, tell a friend, share with a friend, the same way you share a good batch of uh, winter Blue Run bourbon with them as well. So cheers, everybody. We'll see you all next week.